Not many West of Scotland League sides can say they have a player who scored a winner against Arsenal in the Premier League. But Anne Bank can. They brought in former Sheffield United and Hearts striker Christian Nade this season. And with his help, they were flying high in Conference A when things were called null and void. Their boss, Matt Maley, was the man who signed the ex-France under-21 player after they worked together at Troon. Matt was appointed during lockdown and so had to hold on for weeks before he could meet his players for the first time. We're glad he didn't keep us waiting though, as he joins us on the show this week. We'll talk about the secret behind his successes so far at New Pebble Park and how gutted he was to see the league season shut down when it did. We'll look back on his previous coaching roles, which has seen him work at Dundee United, Kilmarnock, Celtic, Stranraz Reserves, Troon and Maybole. Plus, we'll go all the way back to his playing days in the juniors with the likes of Craig Mark, Whitlets, Dal Rye and the Bankies. All that and Roach's roundup with Kilburnie Lateside assistant boss Des Roach. It's all here as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along as we take a look at Scotland's lower leagues. Well, Paul, there's obviously no football being played just now, but I guess uh, already people are looking to the the new season. Um, One thing which struck me from our chat with Paul McCall and the amateurs last week was player registrations. Um, And if the start of the season is brought forwards in the west of Scotland, you've got the amateur teams maybe playing summer football, if that comes into, into fruition. How does that leave player registrations? Because I'm guessing there'll be a, a, a crossover of contracts here, you know, end of this season, start of next season, and summer football in the amateurs. From their point of view, Gareth, I think it's got to be a real problem because I have spoke, I actually spoke to a player today uh, who's got a, a problem. He decided that he's with a, a West of Scotland team just now. Uh, obviously, didn't know when they were going to go back. Uh, and he's been offered the chance to go and play amateur because I think they're maybe going back a wee bit earlier. But he will still be registered with his team. So I think the the deadline for players is the 30th of June, uh, is the last day. So that's going to be a real problem if we're going back on the 17th of July because the way I look at that is if we're trying to sign a player uh, to go into pre-season, if we go back to 17th of May, then we're not going to get that player until two or three weeks before the season. Now, I'm also in another kind of group chat with various managers and club uh, board, board members of clubs, and it was actually raised on there as well. And one person come back and said, ah, it's only a case of a couple of weeks. But the way I look at that is a couple of weeks in this game's a long time. And that's the difference between another team maybe coming in and, and, and getting them or speaking to them or... If you've only got three weeks to your season starts and you've only got access to that player for three weeks, very difficult to prepare and it's going to be up in the air. So back to the original point, I suppose, Gareth, I don't know where they can actually start the, the, the league on the 17th of July because I don't think this is a West of Scotland Football League issue. With the, I think this is registrations with the, with the SFA. Uh, yeah. And I don't know whether how that's run, whether it's a their con- constitution that they would need to, to change. I don't know, but I think it would be extremely difficult to go back on the 17th of July. Interesting. We'll maybe get more uh, more clarification on that as the, the weeks uh, 
weeks go past and we'll, we'll maybe speak to Matt about that as well when we uh, speak to him shortly. Um, before all that, a quick word for our sponsors, media agency 44 Creative. Not only do they have photographers, graphic designers, videographers and video editors to help promote your content, brand, organization or event, they now offer website services too. They make creation personal and they'd love to hear from you. You can find out more at www.44creativehq.com and we'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too. Back to the show and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. I'm Chris Jardin, first team coach at Dolbeaty Star. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Handbank boss Matt Mealy is with us this week. Thanks for being with us, Matt. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great to be on the show, and thanks for inviting me on. We'll, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. So we'll bring you in on this, Matt. Uh, this week, I'm looking for the club who were the beaten finalists in the second-ever Scottish Junior Cup final in 1888, and I think already Matt is the first one to be writing down the clues. I know, I know. <laughs> Didn't think uh, you could see me in camera there. <laughs> uh, they turned senior the following year, but returned to the juniors in 1894. In April 2017, one of their players supposedly scored the fastest goal on record in the world when he netted against Clyde Bank. His former players include Tommy Burns, Jim Duffy and Danny McGrain. Right, okay. Blank um, looks here, boys. Yeah, blank looks. A few things going around in my mind just now, but I should know them. I should know the answer. <laughs> well, I'm putting you under pressure. Last week's clue, Gareth. I said Partick Thistle played in blue, and did they know this week bring out a blue strip? Is that right? Yeah. Do you think you played a part in that? Do you think that played a part in the decision-making? Must have been, eh? <laughs> so, right, Tommy Burns. Well, where's Tommy Burns, Danny McGrain and... Jim Duffy. Jim Duffy. Some kind of Celtic connection there anyway. Right, OK. We'll find out the answer at the end of the show. My name's Callum Graham, Ashfield striker, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. And bank boss Matt Mealy is with us this week. Uh, right, Matt, well, you, you took over during lockdown. Yeah. Uh, as far as it sounded, you pretty much had to put your team together remotely or as well as you could during lockdown. Uh, you saw them sitting top of Conference A. Things were going pretty well, and then it was all called null and void. Uh, how kind of disappointing was that and did you agree with that decision could you understand the decision totally understand the decision first of all Gareth you know and, and having listened to your show and just been talking to a lot of people you know over the past few months there's, there's so many conflicts of interest and, and opinions going around and I think from the players point of view you know there was so many potential start dates or restart dates and no start dates it's just been so start stop and mentally challenging for everyone but ultimately 
the decision happened. Um, the decision was there, and we've just got to get on with it. You know, um, I think take your right back to when I was appointed in, in the role. Um, it was bizarre. It was bizarre doing everything by phone, and then doing a phone call introduction to the players, getting them on Zoom. Uh, some of the players, obviously, you don't, you, you're not going to bring forward and take forward, uh, having conversations with them while you've never met them, and then you look at who you're trying to recruit, and you're recruiting over the phone and not being able to meet them, uh, and at that point, then you gather your squad and then you get your pre-season planned, but you can't really start it. Um, then you do start it, you know, you get the momentum going, everybody's kind of turning up at training, great numbers, great appetite for it. Uh, and then it stops again. <laughs> um, but, you know, people talk about Anne Bank and sitting top of the league. It was seven games. You know, it was seven games. We had a good start. Um, we had some tight games. But ultimately, you know, the, the season's it's barely begun. Um, so we don't really like to be sort of known as the team that sat at the top of the league uh, after COVID because you need to earn the right to, to have that kind of accolade and, and after seven games I don't think we have yet so I'd have loved to have got to the, the opportunity of playing maybe 50% of our league games um, to see where we would have been um, I feel that the momentum is carrying us forward we're doing well as I say the togetherness of the squad it's a great great bunch of lads I'm working with you know uh, we only need to see at the weekend still you know after weeks and weeks of not playing the WhatsApp messages the group chat is just going crazy you know and, and, and that's testament to them, you know, they're self-driving each other, uh, somebody's going out for a run somebody's winding them up about the time you know, the, the banter as they call it you know, on the chat is just it's just fantastic so um, that, that all stems back to where we finished off in the league um, you know, and their, their mental attitude as a, as a squad of boys, great great team to work with You, you talk about um, you know, bringing guys in, letting them go I think you signed the likes of the ex Wilford Scottish Cup winner Martin Brown, former Darvel keeper Dave Markey, uh, one-time Rangers youth player Joe White, and also David Anderson who played for the likes of Stranraer Reserves and, and Irvin Meadow, and and the, these guys coming in. Did you feel did you feel you had the potential to make it more than seven games? You know that you could have carried on something and achieved something this year, or is that always going to be a tough ask? It was it was difficult to judge at first, Gareth. To be honest, because when Robert Love, my assistant, when Robert and I sat down and we looked at you know what we were trying to recruit and bring in, bear in mind that you know the old league as you came from and moving up to the standards and the teams you were playing against in the new pyramid, we were playing against a better quality with the same budget as we had the previous year. So it was important we got got the right people in and getting the balance of mature players, experienced players, and also young players and. You know, to your point, you know, Bruni coming in, Martin Brown coming in, you know, um, the experience he's got, Marky, quality, quality, quality goalkeeper as well. Um, you know, it gave us a great balance to the squad um, and pushed the young ones on as well. And the young ones of younger ones, you know, they've learned a lot from these guys, you know. Um, let's not be kidded as well. You know, what happened with COVID, we were able to recruit a couple of players due to some teams stepping out of the league. Um, so that might have not happened if COVID wasn't here. You know, I wouldn't have had the budget to go and get these guys in. Um, so there's been a whole mixed bag of things. But ultimately, I would have loved to just, as I said earlier, had the chance to go on and play a few more games just to test us to see uh, how good the squad could maintain that. That sort of, when I say unbeaten record, you know, we won five and drew two. So ultimately, we're still unbeaten in the league. Um, so I was looking forward to the fixtures ahead to see how, how we could challenge the squad. Um, and, and continuing that, that run that we had. You'd also previously been at uh, Troon, and obviously down at Troon you had a, probably more of a significant budget down there. 
What was the what was the attraction with Anne Blank? You know, obviously you you, you mentioned there they probably uh, didn't have anywhere near the budget, and you were still working with the the conditions that was there from the previous year. What was the what was the attraction that took you there? I think, Paul, you maybe know this yourself, just to go in and have your own gig, as they call it, you know, um, blank canvas. And it was something I'd done at Strenar. When I spoke to the board at Strenar, they were, they were asking if I'd consider taking on a, a reserves team, um, which they didn't have any players to choose from. So, again, it was just blank canvas, bring in players, start with no budget. Um, so I'd done it before. Um, and I guess, you know, if you do things right, people want to come and play for you. You know, coaching sessions, Robert and I put a lot of thought and preparation into pre-season uh, into our sessions and players come off absolutely buzzing um, and when you get that sort of appetite and that reputation um, in the game then that, that helps players come along and play for you it helps you it helps attract players so um, but it's been good it's been good been really enjoyable um, but certainly certainly very different from Troon So you'd obviously touched on there that you, you, some play, you know, obviously some team didn't compete last year and there was an opportunity to to bring in, in players, did you bring in some players from uh, some higher up Premier League teams? What in Jan Bank? Yeah. Uh, yep. So well, Marky came from Coventry Rangers. And were they, the, these guys you brought in on loan, or were they were they, were they signings? No, no. Marky Marky signed for us at the beginning of the season for Coventry Rangers. I managed to get Mark Dyer from Whitlitz, uh, who was a good signing, and obviously Whitlitz stepped out, so we were able to get him. Uh, I got uh, one loan deal from Hurlford uh, and two loan deals from uh, Ross and Winton Rovers as well. Um, but other than that, you know, I think you know Maxi was on your, your show and he mentioned that we managed to bring a lot in uh, on you know on loan as such. But it was only three players that we brought in on loan um, just to cover some areas that we felt were a wee bit weaker in. And obviously, Christian Nade came in. Um, t- t- tell us, I mean, I know you worked with him at Troon, but Tell us about how all that came about, um, bringing him in, and, and I guess knowing him will have helped you bring him in. Yeah, Christian and I got to know each other when we were at Strenar. Um, ah, right. And we always kept in touch since then. So even when he moved from Strenar and moved on, he was always messaging back and forward, just keeping in touch. Uh, and then when I went to Troon, um, spoke to, to Jimmy and Jim and said, look, possibly a chance we could bring Christian in. Just again, a bit of experience in the squad playing at that level. Um, Christian came in, he was doing well uh, and then he decided he wanted another go at senior so uh, I spoke to Annan and he got moved back into Annan or back up to Annan, I think he was at Annan before that actually, uh, and he played at Annan and again just keeping in touch with him uh, so he went back to Troon and when I took the Annbank job he was messaging back and forward and I think he decided to leave Troon, I don't know for what reasons he, he left Troon, but he left and at that point then um, I was able to talk to him to see, look, you know, at the age he's at, if he steps out of the game, he'll find it very difficult to go back in and play. So he wanted to come and help us out for a few months. And, and really, that's what it was all about. It's all about him getting game time. Christian's got a great, he's got a great appetite for the game. You know, he loves football. He eats, sleeps and breathes it. And uh, again, that was just for him to come in and help us out for a club like Anbank. You know, we were flattered to get him. And, and uh, you know, the younger lads in the squad, again, just learnt so much uh, from him on the park and off the park and to be honest before the game my team talk Robert and I would maybe have a wee talk and then we'd just say to Christian just spend five minutes with him you know <laughs> just just giving them that wee final bit I'm not sure how many of the boys for the well and the Nanbank understood him um, <laughs> they were just standing nodding their heads but, but uh, I think it had an effect I mean do, do they know who he is do they know what he's done in the game the younger boys they do they do yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I think uh, anybody that's got an interest in football, if you mention somebody with that pedigree, then uh, they'll know who he is. And, and, and he's, he's good for sharing stories. You know, he tells a good story of, you know, when he's in France under 21s and his experience at Sheffield United and going to Hearts. Um, and, and good stories with, with good advice as well. But uh, great, great guy to have about. Obviously, at Troon, or, or at Strunrar, I mean, the set-up at Troon, with, with Jimmy Kirkwood is you know is, is as good as senior football I suppose. How did he find coming down down the divisions? He he absolutely loved it, Paul. He, he loved it. I think I'm not sure where where his love of the game was um, just before I spoke to him, and then bringing him in to a few sessions and when he started playing, he just got his mojo back again. And uh, you know he was working hard off the pitch, trying to get fit. And, and just really loving coming along on a Saturday. I think when a lot of the boys were looking up to him, you know, he, he, he felt that, that that was a different environment that he was used to. And, uh, and he certainly took the lead there and, and helped everybody. But uh, but no, he's, just, he's, he's been great and he's been thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. And we're still talking, you know, every couple of days he's, he's on the phone telling me whether he's been runs or not been runs. And, uh, and listen, he's not the best trainer. Any excuse not to train I know you tried diluting the fact that you were top of the league only after seven games. You were top of the league after seven games. How big an impact did he have on that? And obviously against opposition players, because he must be an absolute handful to play against. He is a handful. He he complimented us a wee bit, Paul, because we've got, you know, a couple of strikers that I've got in the squad are very, very good as well. So I was actually just playing him off the strikers. Um, we're fortunate enough to have kind of three, maybe four good, good players up top there. And it gave a different dynamic to the squad. You know, he holds it in very, very well. His win ratio in here is excellent. You know, so if you can play off the shoulder with him, I don't want to tell too many secrets in case we start back and, you know, we've given our game plan away. But certainly in terms of the balance to the squad, he really added it. I wouldn't I wouldn't go all out and say that he was the, the influential key factor on, on us being top of the league. You know, everyone contributed and, and you know, the, the 20, 22 that I've got um, all played a part in it. And even, you know, against Bells Hill, the last game we played in December, we went away there and we ended up beating them. Um, Christian came off after with the last 30 minutes to go. Um, just wasn't really for him that day. You know, so again, the rest of the squad were, were responsible for, for that three points, more responsible for that three points than what he was. So, but, but yeah, again, just his attitude, his application, what he brings to the squad, and, and certainly his style of play, we've just been able to hold it up there. Um, because previously with Anne Bank and us, you know, again, any any clubs that are down used to be down the lower end of the division, from back to front the ball just keeps coming back at you. And to have the ability or the opportunity to have the ball sticking up top allows you to get forward and play the game in the final third, which certainly helped us this season. Is he going to be back next season? <laughs> Yeah, so we spoke uh, last week. I think he's got plans to go over to, I'm sure he won't mind me sharing this, but uh, I think he's trying to go over to the Caribbean. There's some kind of uh, ex-professional league um, that will be playing there for, for two months. So he's working hard to get across there. Um, I believe he's got a contract. And uh, and then he mentioned that when he comes back, he asked if he could, if he could sign again um, when he comes back. And he's returned. That's, so, that's, that's, that's his pre-season then, basically, going to the Caribbean for a couple of months. and then yeah. Not bad pre-season, Gareth, is it? Really? <laughs> And he'll be out running every day when he's there. What's that, Paul? And he'll be out running every day when he's there. <laughs> he's slow, <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned Robert Love's your, your assistant. 
he's he's been a man of many clubs over the years. Had a, had a good career as a player. Is he still playing, or is, or is he actually packed it in now? Gareth, I would say he's not playing, but he would tell you he is still playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, love his love his brilliant. Um, we first met when we were at Troon. We signed him. Jimmy signed him at Troon, and he unfortunately wasn't getting as many starts as what he thought. And at Troon we had again quite a mixed. We brought a lot of pro youth players in, so there was a lot of um, experienced players and younger players, and maybe the younger players that were sitting in the bench. They would Robert I always heard Robert talking to them and talking through the game and his knowledge and his delivery of the game was excellent. And I'd said to Robert when we were at Troon, I said, look, you need to start thinking about getting into some form of coaching. I said because the way you are and the way you deliver yourself is excellent. And uh, of course, when I knew that Anne Bank was coming around, and we'd always said, you know. Sort of, if this was going to happen, would Robert would come in, and uh, and I've just, I think it was a five minute phone call really, um, and and he said yes straight away, and he's been infectious, you know, he's, he's great because I think having somebody that's had the experience that Robert's had, you know, from senior into junior, playing at high level junior, but his discipline and his approach into the whole game is is first class, and that rubs off in the squad as well, and he's that conduit between me and them. You know, where he's still playing, so he's still half their pal. But yet, you know, he'll feed back and him and I can have that little bounce off of who we think's doing right and what's bugging him and why is he not playing well. And he gets that information, you know, from the lads. So a great balance to have. And I think it's a great introduction for Robert into management because someday he'll move on and he'll be his own his own boss. He'll have his own club and there's no doubt about it. He'll, he'll do very, very well. In terms of, in terms of Anne Bank itself... You know, I know you say you were top of the league seven games in, but I mean, I was looking earlier on today. I think the population of Anne Banks about eight hundred and fifty people. Would that be about right? Something like that, just about. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. be far off it, Gareth. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for for you to be top of the league, I mean, the history of the club, obviously, nineteen fifty three Scottish Junior Cup final, lost to Vela, leaving in front of I think it was fifty five thousand fans at Hampden, which is unbelievable. Uh, you know, there's a history there. What, what, tell us about the club, you know, itself, and and you know what what are what are the ambitions of the club, you know, and what are your ambitions at the club now? What will be success in in your kind of stewardship? It's a great question um, because right now, as we sit, you know, you, you you've just given a sort of background of what what Anbank was, and to look at Anbank and what it is now, I went down last week to the ground. And uh, we've now no longer got any hospitality suite or shop because the roofs all caved in with the rain. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the dressing rooms are, are just sitting there. They're, they're, they're leaking. Uh, the toilets aren't working. The pitch, you look across the pitch and there's just no grass across half of the pitch. Um, and at that point, I stood there last week and thought, you know, where are we going with it? Um, Scott Taylor, you know, puts a lot of work into it. You know, he, he, he just if it wasn't for Scott, the club simply wouldn't be there. Um, so going forward, in terms of the plans, we've reached out on social media to everybody in Anbank, most blown local areas to say, look, come and join the committee. Come and help us. Can somebody help with the, keep, keep the ground upright? Can somebody help bring money in, you know, fundraising, whatever it may be? Um, but we're not getting any response. And it's a shame, you know, we've got two local lads playing with us, Tommy Sloan and, and Lee Sloan, obviously. Um, Tucker's boys, and they're, they're from Anbank. And just to be able to bring, you know, three or four people into the committee that are local and make it work and make it sort of um, grow back into what it used to be, because it's a potentially a great club, great village, great people, but we want to get them more involved. Um, and it's finding a way to do that, but very difficult when you get a, a lack of committee. We don't have much of a committee at all. Um, so that's something that we need to sit down and, and discuss. And Robert and I have been discussing it and we're getting together with Scott 
uh, just to see what the plans are for next season in terms of financing, uh, budget and obviously facilities. What is the structure of the committee at the moment? Is it just sort of one guy running the club at the moment or do you have two or three? Uh, uh, I certainly know you were down there last year. I mean, you had the, 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 the port of cabin, wasn't it? There was like the refreshments on after and there was one or two people in there. But what's the actual structure like now? At the moment, Paul, there's, there's Scott and then there's, uh, I think there's a two, three people that turn up um, to, to help in a game day on a Saturday. Um, and I think that's it. That's it. And everything else is Robert and I. You know, I'm taking the strips home, I'm washing the strips and uh, trying to find venues for, for training if Scott can't get any. Um, so it's kind of rolling your sleeves up and, and getting on with it. And listen, that's not a complaint. We knew what it was when, it's when, when we started and when we took the job. But um, certainly... The way we've recruited and the way we've started the league and, and the mindset of the guys and the momentum that we've got, it would just be nice to get that wee helping hand uh, financially for somebody to come in and maybe support us a wee bit more and get a structure uh, within the committee. Obviously, again, I've touched back on the league position you were in. Your ambition is now going to be finished as high up the conference as you can so you're further up the kind of linear leagues when we get when we get into that, into that position. Do you think, uh, obviously Gareth touched on the crowds that were there, Hundreds of years ago, but do you think you know a winning team might bring some more people through through the the gates from the village? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, we we didn't have the opportunity to play Anbank, just given what I just said there. Uh, we moved to Dam Park, um, where Whitlets were playing. So Whitlets obviously stepped out, and there was the opportunity to play at Dam Park. Now, if if anybody that knows Dam Park, you would take that at the drop of a hat. Um, great surface, great stadium. So we were fortunate enough to play out there. But in hindsight, if you were to think about Anne Bank and the village and signing Christian Nadi and you know getting a wee run of success that we did do, it would be nice to play out of Anne Bank just to give the local people the opportunity to come back. And to your point, Paul, I would anticipate that you know if we did start back, when we do start back, and if we do play out of Anne Bank and we've got the likes of Christian and we keep going the way we're going, then the crowds should in some form start to appear. Um, but before that, we still need to look at finances and we still need to look at people coming in to help us on match days and certainly from a Monday to Friday point of view of raising funds, whether it be through bonus balls or whatever it may be. And I'm envious of, you know, listening to all these clubs and see them on social media doing all their campaigns and telling us about floodlights going up and, you know, look at this pitch. We've worked on our pitch through lockdown. You know, you look at that and think, wow, it'd be great to be in that position just to be able to go in and focus on football and football alone. But Robert and I are on the phone every couple of days, you know, talking about other things other than football off the pitch stuff. Um, just to try and keep it going with the help of Scott I was actually forgetting to be honest that you, that you were away I remember actually seeing on social media you were where you were playing uh, could that be an, an option for, for Anne Bank actually moving out of the village and actually going to another ground or do you think there's too much of a connection too much history there to, to consider that or do you have to weigh up the pros and cons of the work that the, the, the expense is going to cost to, to remain at your home ground yeah, I think the latter applies, Paul, you know, and, and heart rolling the head, head rolling the heart, you know, I would love to stay in Anbank and get the local people back in and, and continue to play out of there just purely because it's, when I say junior football stroke, non-league football, you know, you've got that passion. I played there for a wee while and, uh, and I wouldn't like to leave it, but there's a, a, the difference between maybe not wanting to leave it and maybe having to leave it. Um, and I guess we just need to look at any opportunities that are A, put in front of us or B, sustainable. And, uh is it sustainable? Well, again, we'll need to find out. Um, sit down with Scott and see what if it is or not. I'm sure it will be. You know, 
we've still got a pitch, albeit we need a bit of work done to dressing rooms, they're recoverable. Um, so all in all, I think given the choice personally, um, and we had the finances, I'd rather stay in Anbank. And is, is, it, is it owned by Anbank or is it a local authority pitch? It's a local authority pitch. Um, yeah. Council come, they'll cut the grass. Uh, it's local authority. Uh, we had uh, John Gall on from Darville uh, a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about a Darville-born American-based businessman who's putting money into the into the club. So uh, if there's any Anbank-born American-based businessman, Matt, you'd be quite happy for them to send uh, down the divisions an email at uh, downthedivisions at gmail.com to to uh, alert you of their availability. Absolutely, Gareth. We can start the campaign here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if John just wants to come along and, and help donate or whatever himself, he's more than welcome to as well. <laughs> um, we've, we've, we've talked about Anne Bank. Uh, we've touched on Troon a, a few times there. Um, your assistant to Jimmy Kirkwood, uh, you helped to kind of rebuild that club, I suppose, a little bit. I think you joined in 2015. You won promotion. You were there a couple of years. What was that like and how much is that? I know, I know that's maybe slightly laterally in your career but how much did that kind of give you the foundation to do what you're doing now yeah it was um it was my introduction into into junior football from a coaching stroke management point of view um we had the relationship i've known i've known jim kirkwood for many years and uh, and then i got to know jimmy um and at that point they asked me to come in and, and as you say get them potentially back up um so the relationship that we had before that with the club, I was taking players from Stranath and we put a couple of players on loan to Troon and that was the initial connection. So Jimmy had said, Jim and Jimmy had said, look, you know, why not come along, come in and let's start rebuilding. You know, we need to re-recruit, obviously, my knowledge of being at the clubs that I'd been at and obviously with the, the budget that Troon had, um, then we could try and potentially make it work. So two good years, two, great club, great playing surface. You know, old Gus uh, Hollis was there for many years um, and when he let you on the pitch it was great to go on it <laughs> and, uh, the surface was excellent you know a good structure good working committee um, good standing obviously it was my local my local club as well so um, pr- proud to be involved and I, I know Gus from uh, my time working in Fur Park uh, quite a crab old bugger where did you get that from Paul really <laughs> <laughs> he is so he is so there's a heart to go behind that, though. Uh, I bet he had about a 90 grand budget down there. <laughs> <laughs> no, he thought he had a 90 grand budget. I don't think Jim told him he had a 90 grand budget. That's the thing. I think the, the thing about Troon, you know, and a lot of people, um, I think there was one year where Troon obviously tried to increase the budget to make it work, but that, that stuck with the club, and it was unfortunate because it got to the point where, you know, you were trying to bring players in, and the first thing they wanted to talk about was money because they felt, you know, it was um, a license to print it through, and it wasn't the case at all. You know, Jim and Jimmy had to work hard to get players in, and and within a set a set budget. So there was this perception that Trun, you know, had had banks of money um, that they could throw at players, you know, and even bringing in Christian to Trun and bringing in Ryan Stevenson to Trun and you know senior players and experienced players like that. Again, the assumption was that they were getting paid a fortune, and, and they weren't getting paid a fortune. You know, they were just playing with good quality players. You know, with Dean Keenan and uh, experienced players in, in, a, in a good environment with a good pitch, and that was a, that was the USP for the club. It was just the structure and the pitch mainly, um, and it was just unfortunate that people got ahead of it with with the budget that was perceived to be out there. It certainly wasn't uh, what people talk about. Obviously, my 
perception of trueness. You know, they have really good years and they're up there and they're challenging and they're kind of out it again and they, they seem to bring it back again. And they always, I suppose, live in it. And it's horrible, probably, to say this, living in the shadow a bit of Auckland life when it comes to signing the top players. I know you had guys like Ryan Stevenson and Christian Nadi down there, but uh, do you think Auckland Lake and teams like that always have a bit more of a pull down, down that neck of the woods? Yeah, even, you know, when it comes to Saturday and you. It's a couple of times Jimmy and I stand in the dugout, you know, and we faces a play would be excellent, and we go and take a shot and hit the bar, and there was sheer silence, you know, and you turn around and say, wait a minute, we've, we've just done something really well and hit the bar. Um, you're always up against it, just in terms of, you know, opposing fans coming and outweighing your home fans, albeit with some really good home fans as well. But you just felt that Chun, as a town, have not had that sort of um, following of football and junior football of old you know your Rockin' Lakes your Cumnocks even your you know your, your I say Pollocks you, you know your bigger clubs they've got a great following and, and that's something that Troon never had and I guess maybe if they just had a consistent run at it then that might bring a, a few people back and there's a lot of new housing developments in Troon so there's a lot of opportunity for more people to come and watch the game there um, but certainly you know probably a sleeping giant Oh, to be honest with you, um, but I think Jimmy's the consistency. Built those houses. <laughs> What's that? And Jimmy's probably built those houses. <laughs> I think he might well have done. Yeah, yeah. That'll not go back into the budget. I don't think though. <laughs> <laughs> but when you go down on a Saturday, you know you've got you've got Chun uh, my rugby club, um, and you could see probably three times more people watching the rugby than what you would well, even with a a big game, you know, Chun v Mocking Lake Talbot or something, or Chun v Gunnock game. Most people would sway towards the rugby just with. The, the sort of um, tune being notorious for the rugby and famous for the rugby, so it'd be nice to get that sort of balance to to sort of have more of a, a focus on the football. But I think it'll be there. You know, they're working hard. They seem to be working hard behind the scenes and, and making it a bigger and better club. So um, best of luck to them. What was that uh, promotion season like? Uh, yeah, it was. It was great. It was great. You know, going away to Girvan um, on a very very wet, windy, horrible night. Um, had to beat Girvan to go up and uh, obviously play them in t- across two legs and uh, it was it was brilliant you know the atmosphere in the dressing rooms afterwards and uh, and again you know we took a lot of flack because we had good quality players and, and people were sort of giving us a bit of hard time for not being automatic in terms of going up you know and getting into playoffs but you know I wouldn't have changed it I wouldn't have changed it at all at all Gareth it was great um Great for the boys, great experience for the young ones, and certainly um, I'll, I'll live with them for a while. Because again, just being from Troon, you know, there's a wee bit of passion there, and you know, even just walking down the street and people saying, "I'm coming to the game on Saturday," you know, because it's a big game because it was playoffs. You know, that, that kind of lifted it a wee bit. And, and as I go back to what Paul was talking about earlier, if we could have kept the momentum going with Troon just to, to continually keep up there, then I'm sure it would um, return with a healthy crowd. It's the, the the reason for that. No, staying up there was it guys like Ryan Stevenson then kind of leaving and going back senior and stuff like that. Was it was it keeping players there? Um, I don't know. I don't know to be honest. You know, it's um, it's something that probably Jimmy and Jimmy could could answer more. Paul, to be honest with you, I think certainly you know consistency. Well, Dean Keenan's been at the club for a while, so he's obviously stepped into the kind of number two role now. Um, I believe they've recruited well this year. You know, they seem to have finished quite like ourselves. I think they finished second top um, when, the, when the league stopped. Uh, albeit, I know some teams pulled out, and that's an easy comment to throw at it. But um, I think they were going quite well, you know, before the finish. So who knows if we kept going, they could have, they could have been up there still fighting for something. 
it struck me as well. I mean, some managers always do the post-match press. It's always the manager who's quoted. Struck me, Jimmy kind of gave you a little bit of license to do some of that as well. Uh, and was that kind of good for your, your kind of your, your development as well, if you like? Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy's the first to admit, you know, when it comes to the sort of technical aspect of the game, then, you know, he would stand back and let somebody that knows more about it, you know, deliver. Um, and, and, you know, Jimmy's got a great knowledge of junior football. Um, but that was part of the reason and the balance to bring me in was the fact that, you know, this, I could do the sessions, um, technically look at the game from a different view, you know, on a Friday night, but very much get through the team and the starting 11 and what we think and even just getting the, the match preparation on a Saturday, you know, the experience for the players turning up and the knowledge that we were giving them, the information that we were delivering them, just making sure all that was different and, and they were getting a real proper professional environment where the message was getting delivered. Um, so all that was was good. Jimmy Jimmy was great. He just stepped back and let me do all that, um, and then obviously giving him his place for for you know what he's earned and he's earned the right to be that with the success that he's had in junior football. Then um, you know just continually getting that balance of giving him the position, the respect of being the manager. But yeah, Jimmy was great, um, and it did. It, 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 I wouldn't have done it otherwise, Gareth. You know, if I was going into something where I couldn't effectively make an impact. Um, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken the role on and I'd have went somewhere else and, and I made that clear when, when Jimmy and Jim approached me to come in so um, but not worked well and uh, after that you went to, to Maybowl and uh, worked with um, Carla Walker uh, former former guest on the show uh, a character shall we say uh, yep, yep. I just think he's a little bit quiet and shy, and he needs to speak a wee bit more. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, love me for saying that. Yeah, obviously I played against Carlo um, in my playing days, and you know, it was quite easy to get the ball past him when he was too busy fixing his hair. Um, <laughs> but no, Carlo's a great lad. He's, he's, if you talk about passion and enthusiasm that like we have done with Christian and, and other people in the game, Carlo will always be remembered for what he puts into the game. You know, and he's put so much into me bowl, um, and of late. You know, he was going through some sheer, really bad criticism. You know, Mabel weren't doing particularly well and he was getting a hard time on social media and wherever else. And, you know, nobody, these people that are slating him, don't appreciate and realise how much work he does behind the scenes. You know, and when, when I went into, they asked me to go in and help him. Obviously, when I left June and uh, B's assistant, and again, very much like Jimmy, he was like, look, you take all the sessions, you know, tactically, you talk talk to the boys and get them shaped up and prepared on a Saturday um, and he would step back on a Saturday I wouldn't even see him until five minutes before kick-off when he would step in and just, just deliver a wee come on boys let's go after they've had all their information about set pieces and everything so again you know great to have very very good to work with um, with the passion and drive that he's got and, and let me go on with it effectively but certainly for, for somebody that puts so much into the club um, he didn't, didn't deserve the, the, the sort of um, press that he was getting Good, good guy. I, I do hear, though, that he's, he's not the greatest with a tactics board and holding it up the right way, particularly your first game. My first game? Yeah. Did, 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 didn't he, didn't he uh, I believe, he uh, he held your tactics board the wrong way around or something? Uh, yeah, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. He did. He did. And I think the boys let him uh, run, speak for two minutes before they told him. <laughs> <laughs> So what he used to say after that was, I'm just going to hold the tactics board for Matt and Matt will talk you through it. (laughs) (laughs) My name's Jamie Sandilands, manager of Whitburn Juniors. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Now here's Roach's Roundup with Coburnie Lateside assistant boss, Des Roach. 
Celtic Hearts have been declared winners of the Lowland League. The league contacted all member clubs to canvass their opinion on the settling of the league using the points per game formula. Nine clubs supported this motion, while three others they wished to null and void it. Kelty win the league with an average of 2.77 points per match, with joint runners-up being East Kilbride and Bonnie Rigg, who are left with 2.42 per match. Discussions will now take place with the hierarchy over the pyramid playoff, with all clubs being under instruction that they will have to cover the cost of any relevant PCR testing. Likewise, in the Highland League, they've called time on their current season after the committee couldn't see any viable completion date and their desire to honour their commitment to fill the pyramid playoff. To that end, the current champions and recent slayers of hearts, Aurora Rangers, they have won a second consecutive title under the PPG formula. News emanating out of Clybank is that friend of the show and current boss Gordon Moffat, along with his backroom team, they have been rewarded with new two-year contracts at Home Park for the fantastic work that they have done for the Bankies. They also have a substantial number of players committed for next season, and these include club captain and talisman Nicky Little. Another club showing a ferocious appetite in squad rebuilding is Peters Hill. Martin Lachlan has wasted no time at all in restructuring his playing squad and actually has an entire 22-man list lined up ahead of the proposed 17th of July kickoff. Signing on up again in Springburn is ex-defender Ross McCabe, having previously had spells at Pollock and Cumbernauld. Joining him is flying forwards and wide men Lewis MacDonald and Gavin Miller, who have come on board with Lockie again after playing for him at East Kilbride, but most recently spending time at Blantyre Ricks. Over to Les Mahago, well, again, after detailing their recent managerial moves upstairs for Robert Irving and Eric Watson at the Gow after 17 years, it was only announced on Wednesday that the new men in the hot seat will be Neil Sconville as gaffer, Alan Cahoon as assistant, with Nick Patterson taking on a player-coach role. We wish them well. Finally, unlike the West of Scotland League, the East of Scotland have not followed the decision to declare the season null and void. Instead, they've decided to wait until the government's decision next Tuesday on football may return to contact training and games. John Greenhorn of the board feels it is inevitable that the final decision would be made then. Personally, I already feel it's a foregone conclusion. That's enough for me. I'm going to retire for some well-earned rest from work for a couple of weeks. But I'm sure with my Coburnley commitments, our squad rebuilding plans, pre-season training programmes to put together, as well as having two wains, a dog, a wife, and most importantly a golf handicap that's needing attention, I'm sure I'll be able to fill in the hours. Happy Easter to you all. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bayern Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. And bank boss Matt Maley is on the show this week. Um, so before we look at your other previous coaching roles, Matt, let's go all the way back to your playing days. What would what would Matt the manager, what would Matt the coach say about Matt the player? Um, I like the way first of all you say all the way back and really emphasise all, Gareth. <laughs> now that you see me see me on Skype, um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, didn't achieve what was capable of. Um, you know, when I was 16, 17, a lot of people used to tell me I was, I was left-sided, very left-sided. Um, and a lot of people used to tell me I had great ability. And, and actually having the self-belief that I had that ability was something that I, I wasn't blessed with. Um, and I guess if I had to go back and relive it again, then, um, you know, I would, I would look to have a wee bit more self-belief and, and perhaps achieve more. And I guess that's maybe why I moved into the role that I, that I do in, in all these years in coaching, you know, kids adults um, was maybe that, that I wanted to put something back in and make sure that other people believed a wee bit more in their own ability and, and push them. You know, and I get my kicks from 
when it, when I see somebody that's maybe out of the game or was stepping out of the game and now they're playing with somebody regardless of what level, that's where I get my kicks from that, that I've helped them and coached them and made them better, made them stay within the game. Um, so, yeah, probably underachieved would be the answer for that one. And as, as a player, you were at Craig Mark, Whitlitz, Dal Ryan and, uh, and obviously Anne Bank. You know, what, what, when you look back at those days, what, what would kind of strike you as the kind of the, the, the kind of the, the, the place where you enjoyed your football the most, the highlights of, 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 the, of your time at, at those places, a good season, for example, or anything like that? Yeah, Craig Mark was my first junior club. Um, I did a wee spell. I was playing with Bonneton and then went into Sunar for a while and then uh, didn't make it. Sunar came out and Craig Mark was the first junior side to sign me. And at that time, uh, with a guy called Tam Filson that was a manager, and we had a really, really good squad, an experienced squad, a guy like Eddie Morris, David Cowan, some of, these, some of your listeners might sort of um, recognise these ones. We got to semis of the Jackie Scarlet Cup in those days, uh, Talbot beat us there, and we were getting good crowds at Craigmark, um, finishing probably third and fourth. So that was a good start and a good introduction to junior football with me. So in terms of the success uh, in the squad that we had there, that always sticks with me. You know, I was only 17 at that, night at that time, and uh, quite young and inexperienced, but uh, the squad we had was excellent. It was very, very good. But certainly from a, we went to Whitlitz and that was more of a sort of pals, you know, maybe four or five of us that had played uh, for a few years together that just decided to go as a group, um, which has its benefits, but has its downsides as well when you're out on a Friday night and you can't discipline yourself and you turn up on a Saturday. Um, you know, one of these things, Paul, that we're telling our players you should never do. So what then? <laughs> And when was coaching always in the back of your mind as you were kind of coming through? When did that kind of become an idea that you wanted to get into that side of uh, football? I never actually fancied it. Uh, no, 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 I never fancied it. And then my oldest son, he was, I think he was four, and going to a sort of mini kickers thing. And uh, I was standing there and one of the parents had a phone call from the coach to say they were stuck in traffic. Um, so they came to me knowing that I had a wee bit of football background and asked if I would take the session. <laughs> so I took it and I came out and thought, do you know what? I'd like to do that. I'd really like to do that. And uh, and for there then, you know, I started doing school football, um, put myself through some badges. Uh, and then I got, there was somebody that I know that I played with me that asked me if I'd consider getting involved with United. Uh, so we started a, a satellite branch in Ayrshire. And uh, worked with Indy United. I was there for two seasons, and we were recruiting well in Ayrshire. Um, and at that point, my oldest son was in at Kilmarnock, so Kilmarnock then phoned me to say, "Look, you're taking players out of Ayrshire. They're working with Indy United. Why don't you just come from up to your local club?" And that's where the journey started with Kilmarnock, and I was there for for just over nine years. And worked your way up to the 17s? Yep, yep. Went in at tens actually. Went in at tens and and worked my way up to 17s and. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with without name dropping a lot, but certainly to to get experience and you know working with Mixu, Mixu Patelini was very much involved with the youth as was Kenny Shields. So these guys would come and deliver sessions with you, so you learn a lot from them. And Gus McPherson came in to work with us for a while as well, and uh, James Fowler worked with me for a year. So to be able to just bounce bounce ideas and take ideas and share ideas off of people like that, um, and then the, the the benefit of uh, Boydie coming in for six months. But um, so yeah, yeah, just just a, just a great a great experience of being able to sort of blend and work with these guys and you know take little things about what they do good and put them into your own sessions and how you deliver sessions and how your approach is to different players. Um, these are all things that I've picked up through the years. 
and presumably Alan Robertson would have been there as well overseeing it all and um, yeah. a highly respected guy in the game when it comes to that level of football. You're absolutely right, Gareth. I don't, I don't know anybody that's had a bad word to say about Alan. He's an absolute gentleman, you know, an absolute gentleman. And, and testament to that is anybody that you speak to just now that's played under Alan, you know, the boys playing the Hurlford and anybody that's been through the youth system, um, you know, there's nothing but, but great words to say about Alan. Um, absolute gentleman. And did you ever see while you were in the sort of senior clubs an opportunity in there that this is something you'd like to maybe look at on a, on a full-time basis or was it always ever just working with the youths and maybe hopefully you would get a chance to come out and be your own man in the, in the sort of semi-professional leagues? There was there was opportunities, Paul. You know, so obviously just going through the years and you get your C licence and your B licence and then when you get to sort of get those things under your belt then they become, you know, full-time opportunities. But the... I guess I'm not quite sure how I would have liked it, you know, if it would have taken that love stroke, passion stroke hobby away and it becomes more of a purpose. Um, and plus you've got to obviously be up your day job, is it worth giving up your day job to go in and do something at maybe a, a, a lower club that maybe not doesn't pay as good a salary? So there's all these, always these things to, to, to consider. But um, yeah, there, there potentially was opportunities there. Um, Celtic was probably a good opportunity just to grow a wee bit in there as well. They were always looking to bring people in that they thought were, you know, had a bit of talent and invest in them um, as well. But it's something I always felt. I just, it's a great escapism when you do your own work and you go and do. Paul, you'll probably agree. You know, you do a session on a Monday night or a Wednesday night and you come off at nine o'clock and you've forgotten about the bad day you've had at work. And, and I don't know if I would get that if I was full time at a club. You know, continually doing it. Just before we talk about Celtic. Um Having been at Kilmarnock for as long as you have been, or as long as you were, presumably there were a few players who kind of have come through into the first team at Kilmarnock um, since you, while you were there or since you left? Yeah, 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 there's a few, there's a few that, um, actually, there's a friend of mine that goes to a lot of Kilmarnock games and he's in the Chairman's Lounge or Chairman's Club and we sat and watched a game and uh, we counted seven players that started in the first 11 that I had some form of involvement in throughout the nine years that I was there. Um, but oh yeah, I mean, Greg Taylor probably been the first one that you would jump at. And I had Greg at the seventeens, and um, Greg was kind of moving between left mid and left back. And just at that point, we were identifying it was more of a left back than he was a sort of um, attacking left midfielder. Um, players like that, you know, Greg Kilty, um, a boy Adam Frizzle that we brought in. He's now playing with Dumbarton. Uh, Ian Wilson, I think Ian's now at Queen of the South. You know, he, he was a great player. Just, uh, I always remember Jim Bett. I always remember saying to his dad, double, double a Jim Bett, just the style of play. You know, when he's getting pressed, he's still at the one pace, still keeps the ball. Um, good, good player. So, yeah, it's, and it's great to see these, these guys still kicking on and, 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 and playing in the game. Was uh, was Greg Taylor in his shell as much as he is now? You know, barely say boo to a goose and uh, just a quiet lad, really, isn't he? Aye, so he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, Greg was Greg was a good lad. One thing I'll say, and I would probably come on to it in one of my questions later, the, the work rate that Greg had, um, and I used to always use him as an example of it's not all about talent. You know, if you want the journey, you really need the destination or destination and journey in terms of you know how you get there. You have to put the work rate in. And one thing about Greg, you know, where he felt he lacked in a bit of ability somewhere, he would make up for it in work rate. So in other words, he'd lose the ball, he'd go and win it back. Um, yep. and, and you could tell from that early age that Greg had that um, application to go and succeed in the game and do well He's obviously at Celtic now but you, you went from Kilmarnock to Celtic for, for one year was it after Kilmarnock? Yeah it, it, it was a year Gareth um, we had 
Celtic were unbeaten. I think we had uh, that was, was it fifty under fifteens. I think we had, and Celtic were unbeaten, and they, they came to Kilmarnock, and we beat them twice. Um, and I always remember a Wednesday night game at Grange Academy, and uh, I got a phone call that evening from Celtic just to see like, any chance we could meet up with you. You know, we've watched two of your games now, and we love the way your, your preparation and the way your team are. They're set up, so went and met with them, and uh, of course, it's just a bigger club, big club coming in, being at Kilmarnock for a wee while. So I chose the decision to, to leave. Um, to be honest with you, you know, it was a hard one leaving Kilmarnock and, you know, you know a lot of great people in Kilmarnock and you get close to the, the sort of youth players as well, you know, and you want to monitor their progression. And I went into Celtic and I felt a wee bit lost. Um, just a different culture and a different environment. So while I was there, uh, Kenny Shields was the manager at Kilmarnock at the time and Kenny and I had met up twice um, when I was at Celtic and Kenny was desperate to get me back, just trying to get me back into the club. So at his second approach, um, I caved in and went back. In terms of going from, and we're talking under-15s level here, in terms of going from like Kilmarnock to Celtic, I mean, the conditions and, you know, the facilities that they've got must be even night and day compared to like say, Kilmarnock. It must have been difficult for you to go back. Yeah, it was in terms of facilities, Paul, but Steve, and, and, and to be honest, you know, you're standing coaching at Celtic with Lisa George McCluskey and, you know, all these legends, as I would say, from, from Celtic, and, and that, that in itself um, is great, but I think everything in life is all about people, you know, people and trust, and, and I came from an environment at Kilmarnock where I'd been there for a long, long time, and I left that, and, and that's something, that was part of the reason going back, you know, you mentioned earlier about Alan Robertson, and, you know, Kenny was there, Kenny Shields was there, they were all great people, and all the coaches, you know, Andy Black, guy that's been there for years and years at Kilmarnock, um, and, and going back to that environment where it was all about the people was mainly the reason why I went back, Paul. And do you miss that? Do you, do you still miss that being involved in kind of like a senior club at youth level, and, and, and looking at the players' progression? Yeah, yeah, I think I miss it this year when I went into New Pebble Park and seen the state of the pitch and everything. <laughs> I mean, to look at the facilities there. But it took me a wee while. I went into tune and, and I tried to take that sort of um, big club mentality, you know, full-time professional club mentality into tune. And I had to adapt a wee bit, you know, and respect what tune was and where it was as well. Um, so there's a wee bit of a balancing act there for me and I had to kind of step back and reflect a wee bit. But um, I, I miss certain parts of it. But you know, to get to the the kind of when they call grassroots, you know, to get to to, to stand at Anbank and play in a game, you know, we played Auckland Lake Talbot there pre-season and we played Glenafton there, and, and you're right close to it and you're right on it. You know, on a Saturday, Paul, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. Take to wake up on a Saturday morning and have that football buzz, knowing that you're going to a game, whether it's at Rugby Park or whether it's at you know New Pebble Park. It it, it doesn't matter to me, but. Um, but certainly, there's certain aspects of it that I miss. But other than that, you know, turning up on a Saturday to lights and bank and tune, you still get your football kick out of it. You, you went from, uh, I think you went from Kilmarnock then to Stranraer when Brian Reid took you down to to work with the reserves. Was that almost like a good bridging kind of role, if you like, between going from, as Paul says, the kind of full-time club into sort of the, the, the juniors kind of management coaching roles? Yeah, uh, I probably look at Stranraer as my fondest memory, um, you know, right. a, club, a, club, a club that I never, I didn't know anything about Strunar, um, and, you know, got the opportunity to speak to the board, and um, they put that in front of me, and I thought, oh, do you know what, I'll give it a go, you know, it seems like a, a real good challenge at the time, uh, the under-20s uh, league was not long sta- to be started, 
So I knew that I could recruit relatively well. So obviously boys that I've been, been watching, working with through Kilmarnock and Celtic and wherever else, um, brought them in. And uh, the, the club, Sunar, the people in Sunar, just absolutely backed us. We done a, eventually after sort of um, pushing it really, wouldn't he let us play in the, the, the home park? Wouldn't he let us play at Stair Park? There's an astroturf across the road at the school. And I'm bringing boys from Ayrshire over to Stranahar on a Monday night, and I'm saying to them, right, big man, come on. They need, they need something, they need dangle a carrot, let us play at the park. And of course, Reedy, he likes him on the big man. So uh, eventually he caved in, and we done a wee thing. We spoke to the chairman, and we said to the chairman, look, Monday night game, we're playing Morton, get on social media and tell everybody to come along. You know, maybe charge £2 ahead as a donation or something. So um, at the time... Tommy Turner was my assistant, and uh, Tommy and I had been talking all week about, you know, making sure that the club had been pushing this and pushing it. So we walk out of the tunnel and we turn around and look, and actually when the Monday night game against Morton, we had more than what they had on the Saturday for their Is first right? team home game. I had 482 turned up to watch, and I thought, great, and, and that just shows you Stranard people, you know, how they bought into it, and the, the sort of how, how much they were behind us. Um, but as a club, great, great people. Uh, at that club and, and the supporters and um, no, it's a club that's very very close to my heart Did you win? Yeah, we beat Morton we beat them 3-2 Jim Duffy was there that night um, he wasn't chuffed Jim, <laughs> doesn't, Jim doesn't take defeat too lightly um, and it was great because you know we, we, were, we weren't paying the boys anything at all you know financially they weren't getting rewarded at all uh, they were all on amateur contracts um, and of course Morton were full time so they, they, come, they come to Stranraer, uh, I think we were 2-0 down after 17 minutes and we came back and won 3-2. Um, so to do that, we ended up finishing third top of the league, you know, competing against Air United, who were full-time, uh, Morton, who were full-time, I think Airdrie were in at that point as well. You know, so there was a lot of big clubs there with, with some financial backing. Um, managed to bring in a boy, Kyle Turner, um, who was playing sort of boys club football. Big Reedy came to a few games, he was very supportive of the 20s or the reserves and uh, spotted Kyle amongst a couple of other ones and brought them into the squad. Kyle got a wee shot at it, and of course Kyle's now playing with them fellow. Tommy's, Tommy's son. Tommy's son, yep, yep. And there's no man that's harder than his son than Tommy. <laughs> Is that right? Aye, yeah, yeah. yeah aye. Tommy was old school. Tommy was old school. I'm just surprised that he said big Brian Reed like uh, Moan as well, because... Uh, <laughs> I used to phone Brian Reid up with players and I said, what, what are you looking for, Brian? Uh, I need a striker. Uh, he needs to, I need 20 goals a year out. And I said, oh, there's maybe a boy you know, just been released. Nah, he used to me, he used to me. I said to him, Brian, you're here United. No, man, United. But he was always looking He was always looking for that <laughs> thing he couldn't get. But I noticed this week he's actually saying Brian Stevenson, a, a man that you know. You know well. It has, yeah. yeah. Brian and I talk a lot. You know, I, I really like Brian. You know, we got quite close, very close uh, when he was at Stranraer. And, uh, and when he left, we still kept in touch and, and obviously took the Albion Overs job. And um, we've been on the phone back and forward just in terms, as you say, you know, I need a centre-half, I need a striker. Um, but you're always willing to, you know, it's always great to help people that, that help you. Brian was great to meet Stranraer. You know, he, he, he backed the reserves once he let us play at Stair Park. Uh, so no, we'll give a bit back to him. He's good. And you went from there to to Troon. Uh, to yes. Yep. Went there to Troon, uh, and then from Troon to Maybole. Um, it was six, seven months, and I made it clear when Carlo asked me to come in. I said, "Look, come in and help you just now. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what kind of kind of commitment I can give. Um, because ultimately, you know, I was wanting to progress and, and be my own man. Um, 
sometimes you were just fed up, you know, turning up and doing what you're doing. You wanted to sort of carry your own can. So um, when Scott Foreman spoke to me about the Anne Bank job, I'd known Scott previously, his son was in it, come on up, Jack. And, uh, and, and you know, it was, a, it was the right thing, I felt, for me to do at that point, just to sort of get myself into management and have my own gig, as I say. Do you think touching on your experience of your time at Kilmarnock and your time at Stranraer, that will maybe give and bank access to maybe players that have just not quite made it and uh, are coming out of these clubs? Do you think uh, players would have the appetite to come and play with yourself at uh, and bank? Yeah, I've got a couple in, Paul. Um, through no doing of me, excuse me, Steve McClelland was in at Kilmarnock for a few years and uh, he's one of my midfielders. Um, Scott had actually got him to the club he was there before me but again Stephen's got great ability and probably could have left and moved on um, but we wanted to keep Stephen when we took the job um, brought in a, an 18 year old Grant Richmond um, Grant's very very small but technically excellent and again he was at Kilmarnock um, in fact Carlo had him in at Mabel but wasn't getting much game time and for me, you know, you play an astroturf and 1v1s, Grant drops a shoulder, he's got a wee step over, he's got a wee five-yard burst. The amount of fouls he buys you, you know, just, just 20 yards, 25 yards out is excellent. So um, the 18-year-old, he's, he's got great potential. I guess what I'm doing is I'm potentially selling my players online here, aren't I? <laughs> I should just number them instead of name them. Just My number seven, my number 11. <laughs> Which and Paul, us Paul, to... Paul, don't you be getting them on Facebook now and trying to get them. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought of that. Good, good shout. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Brown Ferguson, manager of Linlithgow Rose, and you are listening to Down the Divisions. Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Matt? Who was your idol as a boy? Uh, I think I'm going to be boring with this one and probably say what everybody else says, but what a player he was and used his backside to the best of his ability, Kenny DeLuish. Um, you know, lacked a bit of pace, great vision. You know, if he had runners round about, runners off him, which made him even better. What a player. I think the question would be how much would he be worth in this yeah. current game? You know, great, great player. The other one I'm going to throw in there as well was Glenn Hoddle. Um, you know, as a midfielder, great ability to, to volley the ball, great technique. You know, if you were showing kids the game um, on technique, you would probably show them videos of Glenn Hoddle. Superb. Uh, who's the toughest opponent you faced? Uh, toughest opponent and it was a bit of a learning curve so I just signed with Craig Mark and uh, obviously being from Troon there's a guy John Coffrey um, that I knew from Troon John played right back for River Meadow went on to play well in Lake Talbot and uh, John was quite a hardy character and of course I go to Meadow Park and I'm outside left and two minutes into the game I put the ball through his legs run round him cross the ball and we hit the post and it goes out and I run by and smile at him um, subsequently for the next 88 minutes he kicked me up and down there <laughs> You know, and I'm saying to him, I thought we were mates. No, you're not my mate for 90 minutes. And I learned as a 17-year-old, you know, that when you go on the pitch, you, you, there's no pals. So we, uh, we lost you a little bit when you said his surname. John Coughlin, was it? Cofty. Cofty. John Cofty. Yeah, yeah, John Cofty. Yeah, John, I think John went on to play Rock and Lake. And, uh, he was in the team when they won the Scottish Cup. What's the favourite football top you've worn and why? There's a couple of answers I could give you with that one, Gareth, but probably my first uh, strip that I got given when I played under nines with my local club, Troon Thistle. 
you know, I think as you get older and reflect on life, you always think about your first coach. Nobody, nobody, everyone remembers their first coach when they go into boys club football and they always remember their first trip. And I always remember that first trip and think about, gosh, I remember sitting in the minibus going to the away games, you know, 25 of us in a seven-seater minibus um, wearing that strip. So, yeah, I guess that one sticks with me for sentimental reasons. Did you say there was a second one as well? No, no, no. My second one was, was a Fran, I had a France strip that I wore all the time. Um, but, no, we'll stick with the this one. Uh, who's the best player you've played with? Um... Probably we Tom Brown at Dorai. We Bruno and I played up front. Um, made me look better than what I was because you know Tom's ability to jump early and hang in there was frightening. You know the amount of headers he won. You were guaranteed. You knew, you knew he'd win nine out of ten. So all you done was play off the shoulder, the centre back, and you were in there. So um, thanks to Tom, he made me look half decent. Um, but Tom obviously went on to play with Glen Afton and then Comarnock and had quite a good career at Comarnock. So Tom, Tom was Tom was good. You know he wasn't the biggest. But you know, technically he was good. The ball stuck with him well, and as I say, he was, he was probably known for being great in the air for being five foot seven. Um, in terms of, I've got one that I worked with, and uh, I was going to say earlier, Greg Taylor for his work rate. But when I was younger, I was at Dundee United and went and watched Alan Forrest, and we tried to sign him when he was ten. Um, but obviously James was in at Celtic at that point, and we always felt we were going to lose out to him. But for me, I don't think I've ever seen a player through. You know, maybe the age of 10 to 17, who's been so consistent in his ability. Um, again, not blessed with height, but technically excellent. You just couldn't get the ball off him. Um, so I would probably say, answer your question would be uh, Alan, Alan Forrest. He's been, he's obviously at Livingston this season now. Um, he is, yeah, he's doing well. Doing well, yeah. And uh, what's the best practical joke you've seen? Um, I'm playing with Butlets. And my big mate, Chris Malloy, he was a goalkeeper. And to be fair, it wasn't one of my better games. You know, I took all the free kicks in the corners and the penalties. And I took two free kicks and skied them over the bar. And Chris is all could hear him. It was him just shouting abuse at me and just giving me a right hard time. And then ball came through in a one-on-one one and I put it wide. And, of course, the big man's just getting angrier and angrier. And it was just one of the games where he was constantly on my back. And we always sat beside each other in the dressing room. So uh, five minutes to go. I'm through on another. 1v1, the big centre-half cracks me. My ankle swollen up, so I get carried off and they give me an aljex and I'm spraying it on my ankle. So I get into the dressing room and I sit down, I'm raging at him, you know, he's giving me abuse while I'm still limping off and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm injured and you're still no you're still giving me it. So I'm sitting looking at the empty dressing room and he sits and I look at his boxer shorts and I thought, I'll just put the aljex in, won't I? So I just spray it inside his boxer shorts with the aljex. So there's only about three minutes to go. So needless to say, he comes out of the shower, sticks his kit on, we go back for a pie and a pint. <laughs> And he just gets, he gets one bite and he's pie and he's ran into the, the, the toilets to, to wash his bits. So uh, that's what the, the big man gets for giving me a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did you own up to it eventually? I oh, knew right away it was me. You knew right away. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> My name's Tommy Sloan, Auchinleck Talbot manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the down the divisions decider. Uh, just to remind everybody, we're looking for, or I'm looking for, the club from League One down uh, who were the beaten finalists in the second ever Scottish Junior Cup final in 1888. They turned senior the following year, but returned to the juniors in 1894. 
In April 2017, one of their players supposedly scored the fastest goal on record in the world when he netted against Clyde Bank. And their former players include Tommy Burns, Jim Duffy and Danny McGrain. I don't know what shout at once, boys. Uh, anybody got a clue? I've got an idea. I thought I had an idea until you've asked me to say it. And I think we've had it before. Unless you've picked the same team twice. So here's here was my thinking. Obviously, there's a Celtic connection. So I'm going to try and stay away from uh, the likes of St. Rocks. Jim Duffy is from the north of the city. So I'm thinking, I don't know where Tommy Burns and that's from. So I was going to go Kirk and Tillich, Rab Roy, just thinking because it's North Glasgow team and I was avoiding that Celtic connection because I thought it would be too easy. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say Claybank until Gareth said it. It scored against Claybank. The answer is Mary Hill. Mary Hill. Mary Tommy Burns played with Mary Hill, didn't he? North yep. of the city, isn't it? Mary Hill's north of the city, is and it? That's West End, isn't it? Really? I, I, I thought you'd, uh, when you were talking about Jim Duffy, where, he, where he's from and all that, I thought you were actually going to lean towards Mary Hill there. No. Nah, just... uh, uh, Gavin Stokes was the guy who scored after 2.1 seconds against Clyde Bank. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed I missed that one. Yep. <laughs> uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show this week. Enjoyed the chat and uh, hearing all about Anne Bank. And we obviously wish you well when uh, when football resumes. Yeah, guys, it's been great to, to be on. And, you know, thanks for allowing me to get a wee plug into Anne Bank. So any support that anybody can give us would be, would be greatly appreciated. But um, no, the best of luck to yourselves. And again, thanks for inviting me on. Thanks again to our sponsors, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer, or video editor. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to, or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment which helps others find us and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.